Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, arranger, engineer, producer, and podcast host, Leo Sidram, on the 2023 CD, What's Trending. The last time we caught up with Leo was in 2021 when the pandemic was still in full force and things were up in the air. These days in 2023, with a new album, European tour dates, a thriving podcast called The Third Story, now featured on his new home of WBGO, Leo is living a grand existence. He's a great friend of the program, and we get into this brand new album that stands as his eighth solo record, and in a lot of ways, picks up where his celebrated 2021 release, The Art of Conversation, left off. And we do the same thing in conversation, and a little bit more. Enjoy this interview. Leo. Hey. What's up, my man? Look at this upgraded situation. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's like it's like we stepped into a time warp. <laughs> I, I love it. It's great. It's so good to see you in, you know, virtual flesh. It's great to great to catch up. Likewise. I was thinking the last time we did this, it was on the phone. I remember I, I was sometimes sort of still in COVID times. Yeah. But, I mean, not that we're not in COVID times now, but yeah, nice to see you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I remember every time I talk to you or your dad, there's always something that I come away with and I'm it just reverberates. And I remember the last time we spoke. You said, you know, before COVID, you only did this in person. You didn't feel comfortable over the phone and you got more comfortable with the idea of it being virtual. How is that feeling now, you know, a few years removed? Is that still there? Yeah. I mean, at this point, it's sort of every everything and anything goes. I love when I get to be in a room with somebody because I do feel like we've had some kind of real shared experience. We went to the okay. same place together. But But first of all, there's no way I would get the guests that I get today without agreeing to do it remotely. Yeah. And also I do think that there's a kind of comfort that people have when they're in their own space. You know what I mean? I'm sitting Absolutely. in my house. I'm in the same place where I have my coffee, where I sit every day. So maybe I'm a little more willing to just kind of open up quickly rather than if I had to go into a studio or go someplace that I'm not familiar with you're kind of more guarded in that situation. So I, I think the people I, I'm talking to are more kind of, I don't know, willing to open up quickly. Yeah. You know, it's weird. It's a different psychology because I, you know, really dealing with jazz radio, I almost felt like I didn't have to have the visual. And then I started really kind of getting into the Zoom technology and having better audio, you know, and then you kind of go down this rabbit hole. But I really think there's a psychology now that I've embraced with actually being able to see people and it feels more natural it feels it, it's 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 a good feeling and i didn't know how my brain was going to switch to that track because i did it for so long but it's cool man it's really it's like you said there's a comfort you get into it you can see somebody and this really is kind of our new reality to a certain degree of coming face to face so to speak yeah i don't know that we're ever going to come back away from this i think this is with us you yeah. know uh, whatever the hybrid model is or whatever but you know, I'll tell you something else. When 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 we were uh, just on the phone and not doing video, and I still find this sometimes that some people don't want to be on video. They just maybe I don't know if you find this. Some people prefer not to be on the camera. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I feel like actually people open up even faster because they they almost like lose track of what they're doing and they just yeah. kind of start talking. Uh huh. Yep. And it's that psychology. There is definitely psychology when you either put in the visual or take it out. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, before we get to what's trending, 
you know, you do a lot of interviews, you meet a lot of cats and you happen to be in a position where there there's, there's a more shared experience because you're on the stage a lot over the pandemic. I'm curious. And, and I don't want to cherry pick anybody specifically, but was there an interview that you right now to this day still reverberates as we went through that time? Because oh, it was so, heavy, man. Yeah, that's so interesting. You know, there's not one in particular that jumps out. I mean, there are, I think if we were to cherry pick and go episode by episode, maybe you have the same experience. I tend to have one or two things that stick with me from every interview. Like if I just had to do a quick recall on things. And so, you know, there are a few that come to mind as we're talking that were special to me for different reasons. But as always, I'm I don't mean to, you know, um, exclusively focus on this, but I do find that the conversations that I have, and I think they resonate with other people, with my dad, are always the ones that tend to, uh, I don't know, have more a deeper impact, you know. And I also maybe because he and I have so much shared history and so much intimacy with one another. I mean, I could really call him in a handful of times. I did. Um, around COVID questions and political questions and, you know, aging, all this stuff and check in with him a couple, couple times a year. I do an episode with him where we just kind of talk about the state of affairs in the world. And those are the ones. And maybe particularly because I do tend to spend so much time with him in normal times on the road and in the studio and just together that we went the longest stretch that I can remember without seeing each other because of COVID. I live in New York. He lives in Wisconsin. And so we went, I don't know, nine months or something without seeing each other where normally we would see each other every handful of months, every couple of months. So every time I talked to him remotely for the podcast in those times was, you know, particularly meaningful, I think. But there's a different razor level of introspection that you get when you do an interview. So that would be very interesting to have that bond with your father that you both, because you're both master interviewers, you both Mm -hmm. go into it. And this is your trade. And, you know, you're cognizant of the relationship. You're also cognizant that you go into this realm where this is what you do. It's a native language and you love the story. You love the architecture of getting into the mentality of where we are and who we are as people and musicians. So that would be totally cool to meld all that to that Oreo cookie. You know, you know, I saw Mark Marin interview Terry Gross on stage in Brooklyn maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago or eight years ago or something. These are two masterful yeah. interviewers and um, of a, of different generations. Terry's a little more traditional. She's an NPR, you know, she's the host of Fresh Air and she's been doing it for over 30 years. I don't know. And Mark Maron's a little more new school. And I, I went with my wife. I remember we walked out of there and I said, I feel like I just saw Duke Ellington and John Coltrane in concert <laughs> together. It was like two masters of slightly different generations who found a way together to collaborate. And so I love that you say, you know, my dad and I lo- can get into the architecture of the interview format and because it is kind of like jamming. I mean, yeah. a, a, you know, a conversation just like we're having right now is very much like getting together with somebody and playing some tunes. Absolutely. It's the riff. I will tell you real quick, and I don't want to deviate from what we're doing here, but I, the, one of the most stark moments that I had early on in the pandemic, and of course, like you said, you could only hustle people down because everybody was done and no one knew what was going on. This must yeah. have been probably May or June. And I got Diane Schur on the phone and her cat's all over. She's making coffee and she's like, excuse me, is this OK? I said, look, I am embracing ambient sounds. You know, yeah. I mean, there was things where. You know, I would interview someone in Spain and they would be beating pots and pans and they're like, I'm sorry about the noise. I said, no, put the phone outside. Yes. Give it to me. I want it. You know, 
sirens, all those things. But I remember while we were talking about it, one of the, and it's still just like kind of, it, it, it really encapsulates what was going on at the time. I was like, how do, how are you doing right now? You know, yeah. how are you holding up? And she said, I feel like the way I was when I was born, when she was born, she was left in an over oxygenated tube, so to speak. And her mom would leave at night. And that's how she kind of got her eyesight degeneration. That's how it began. Mm. And she was like, I felt, I feel like I did when I came into this world, I feel alone. And I was just like, just like the hairs went up and it was just like, there was this like bridging of just deep. Yes. And I mean, if, and of course, you know, a minute later, she's talking about Sinatra and we're going on and it's really good, but it was like those moments and they happen a lot. I was so glad that I decided to amp it up because the musicians, whether they knew it or not, artists needed that companionship. They needed somebody to pull them out of what they couldn't do natively, which was to get on stage or get to a recording studio. At least, like you said, we could riff and get together and do an art that was different from what they were used to, but they didn't feel so alone, especially in New York, where everybody was in this box and you could only play for so long until maybe a neighbor got upset. You know, there was all those things that went into it. So, Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we it's amazing that things are more or less back to normal now. And, you know, because at that time, I remember asking people and, and asking myself also, you know, what what we, what we will we make of this in the future? Will we remember what this was like, you know, and, and how will it change our feelings? And what I'm feeling, because I've been out on the road a bit this year and I've kind of about been out in, in the world again, is that people are kind of like doubling down and wanting to be out even more and be more in public space and be, you know, so I don't know if that's a response or if we're just kind of choosing not to really deal with it, you know, what we went through. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it is, we don't want to be defined by our trauma specifically, you know, and I think it's easy sometimes to be attached to that, um, you know, the hardships in our lives. But, but on the other hand, like that was very real and it's not that long ago and it could come back at any time. And like, you know, um, it's hard to really know what, what was properly learned. I mean, so many artists that I've talked to just kind of like, you know, we're trying to put a record out and they weren't able to put it out or they're trying to go on tour and their tour got canceled and now they're back out and they really want to do it again. And, and that's great. But like on a societal level, I'm not sure that we really have dealt with what it meant for the arts, for example, or for our relationship with music. I think we're too micro. I think the, the level of macro is going to, it's like time. It's like death. You, you only really get to a place where you're okay after a passage of time. Yeah. And I think we're all in PTSD. I think our brains have just been at this point where we literally were told in the beginning, I remember the most archaic thing in the beginning was, and I would sit with my son late at night, we would try to find a sport to watch because everything was shut down and we yeah. started watching bowling <laughs> and they would have these commercials where they were like, don't shake hands, don't do all these things that were groomed as kindergartners to do as humans to have a bond with another human being. And yeah. we're told not. So we went through all of this whole thing, you know, six feet apart, don't do this. And now all of a sudden it's like, all right, the circus is back on, let's go. <laughs> well, yeah, exa exactly. And, you know, I, like I, I was in Europe uh, earlier this spring and, um, you know, these are countries where like Spain and France and Italy, where people generally kiss, like you, you meet a stranger and you kiss them. And so like what's happening with the kiss now? And I noticed that that is one thing that sort of is, is, uh, is being renegotiated, particularly between women and men, where some women have chosen to use this opportunity to sort of say, no, no, I'm not, we're, we're not kissing strangers anymore, you know? Yeah. 
and uh, and that makes perfect sense to me. You know, I, I could see that that's that's one sort of byproduct of uh, of the pandemic. Absolutely. Well, you know, the one thing I noticed over the pandemic was that there was always music coming in. But now that I'm going to live venues, yeah. like I caught Miguel Zanon in the winter, and it was unreal. Like you know, and you know this. There's something about recordings that are iconic and wonderful. But man, when you see that air get twisted and turned with the horn and everybody's coming together and it's the sound like I literally I've probably been more close to tears over this last year, just simply watching music than I have in my entire life. In fact, the other day um, I was at Royal Stadium with my son. It was a Father's Day game yeah. and Otani's there and Trout's there and they're hitting home runs. It's a really good game. We're down six two, and the Royals are abysmal this year. Yeah. So this rookie player, first game, he's trying the whole game to get a hit, and he can't get a hit. We're all cognizant of it. Bottom of the ninth, the Royals finally tie it, 9-9. This kid mm -hmm. hits a center field shot over Mike Mike's head, and we're just like, oh, my God. We just, we're all like, it, it's the fairy tale story. I got so exhausted at the end. I literally sat down. I was like, what's this coming out of my eyes? I just could not believe it. I'm like, so all these live events, that's the point. It's so wondrous to feel the celebration of humans getting together, doing what we've always done. Absolutely. I feel the same way about, you know, I live in New York. I've lived here for 18 years. And, and that was one promise I made to myself. Uh, whenever things open up, I'm going to make sure that I get out there at least once a week, a couple times a week and try to hear music, take advantage of where I am and this wonderful gift of music all around us. Because I, I agree with you that um, it was so important that we had the internet and we were able to connect and, you know, not only see live stream events or whatever, but also, you know, fortunately we have have like this archive of all the greatest concerts and sporting events that we were able to go back and re revisit if we needed a fix but there's nothing like going out and seeing it live yeah. and and i have i definitely have sort of recommitted myself to that in the last year or two and i don't think we're going to shake that i think that we're we're in this like there was that post 9 11 thing where it's yeah. like are are we going to keep this patriotism going this is different. This is like a real realization of us as humans, not just art, but like literally being on this planet. And we all self-evaluate. And I think one of the positive turns is that mental health is more on the forefront. Things that 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 are very key to us being healthy organisms. Yeah, I think you're right. And at the same time, I, you know, not to get really dark about it, but I also am feeling I'm sure every generation who's ever been alive has believed that they were living in vulnerable and scary times. And, you know, because we are kind of always on the edge and you know that's the one one reality that we all face is our mortality but on the other hand there's something going on on the planet right now i mean in our lifetime that is extremely pressing to me it feels like and some of it is environmental and some of it is economic and but but the sort of the mounting pressure and reality of life on the planet today is pretty real and i think it took something like the pandemic at least for me to to make that really clear like this is not, we are not fooling around here. This is now, you know, my whole life, you know, I thought, well, we know that the world at some point will come to an end. I mean, I'm not saying the world's coming to an end, but I am saying like, we, we're aware that sometime in the millions of years into the future, some events will take place that will reframe this story, this human story, which is really not very long when you think about the history of the planet. And more and more right now, I'm sort of thinking, well, someday may be starting to happen today. This may be someday. There's so much intensity, um, certainly environmentally, but but also just in terms of the intensity of life on the planet. Like, I think someday is now in a way. 
Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, there's ice ages. There's been massive volcanoes. One of my son's friends was talking about going to Yellowstone this summer. And I said, you know, that's one of the biggest volcanoes in the world. And if that thing goes and, and I yeah. got freaked out, I was like, dude, no, you're fine. It's going to be OK. I, do, I don't want to go there, you know, but there are these like natural calamities that could be a part of it. And then, you know, without even getting into specifics, there's all these other things that are kind of festering up around us. So I guess that's the one thing I, I've, I've learned over the years is having a son with special needs. The only thing that I'm in control of is how well and how good I love him mm. and mm. those around me. Because all of these other things, you can't calculate COVID. You can't calculate that your schedule is going to fall off the calendar. Mm. You, you can only take care of those that are around you. And that's pretty cool to know that you have that power no matter what. Yes. Yes, that's right. I mean, it, it it all comes down to you and those around you whether you start there and then hopefully it sort of it, it uh, expands outward and and in a way i mean this may be like a little bit of a a tricky transition but i think that that does play into what all of us who make music and contribute to the arts had to confront on some level in the last couple of years like why are we doing this and what uh-huh. you know what is the value of doing this there was a time both kind of post political chaos and then in the pandemic where I certainly asked myself, like, does the world need me to sing this love song right now? Is that what is needed right now? You know, is, am I contributing something? Is this something that's value? Is it better for me to stay quiet? Is it better for me to speak my truth, to, to sing from the heart, you know? And I think, it would be hard for most artists not to at some point have asked that question you know what what is my value and what is my role and what is the 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 role of the arts given all of this like sometimes i have thought to myself man you know okay fine maybe people find some meaning or some resonance in these conversations maybe some of the songs i write can could be meaningful to people but would it be better if i just sort of shut that whole thing down and just like you know uh committed myself to picking up trash in the park down the street from my house. Like, would that be of more value? I mean, yeah. I could do both, but like, um, but I have found that I am also kind of like recommitted to making art and making work right now that I think that there is tremendous value. And, and I think that by starting with your own personal sense of expression and connection, that it, it actually does ripple out in the same way that you say, 100%. you know, the, the thing that you, the one thing that you can count on is just knowing that, you know, that you can love your son and love him fully. And, and in the same way, I think it's kind of what we do with the music is we just start by getting our heart right and getting our intention right. And then just trying to be as authentic about that expression as possible. And I think it does, there's a, an enormous ripple effect from, from doing that. Yeah. And I think that, seeing everybody out there kicking ass is adds to the vigor and vitality of us as humans and i think that's the part of what you're talking about that artistic ripple and i we're going to get into your latest album you know that's very important you know and i think when the ukraine situation started too i heard that more with artists than anything else what am i doing like how is this going to be a ripple but i think if we all collectively feel like everybody that we're used to being out there doing this and being a force continues to, it's going to motivate those that may need that motivation. It is, it's the ripple effect. So with that being said, the perfect segue into what's trending, 
how much of what we lived through and how much of what you wanted to do as an artist came through on this latest album? I mean, this album really is, um, well, it's the second of two. I mean, when I look at it, I, the, there was an album that came out kind of in the in the heat of COVID or was made, was a sort of more of a COVID album, The Art of Conversation, and then this What's Trending are both really pretty intimate little albums. You know, and this one is was not intended in any way to reflect the sign of the times or anything like that. It was just kind of gathering the impulses around me in my house. It's a pretty small little record, actually, in terms of, what I was going through emotionally. It was made pretty much at home with a small handful of friends. And, um, but I do think that the experience of one person, you know, one human represents on some level, the potential of all humanity. And I think by singing about my own little small life and small truth, um, maybe I tapped into, uh, some of the feelings of the moment in general, you know, um, but it wasn't my intention. And and I'm not not sure that I did or not, but I, but I have gotten a little bit of feedback that people are kind of interpreting some of this as being about something really big. That this is the themes in the in the album maybe are are larger than I even realized. I think it's a lot like the whole Bob Dylan moment. You know, Bob was the kind that I think sometimes he was a deer in headlights during interviews because he's like, all I'm doing is talking about what's going on. I'm not trying to be a leader. I'm not trying to be the voice of a generation. I'm just doing what I'm doing. I remember when that movie came out that Kate Blanchett uh, played him. Yeah. And he was having this dream and there was a maid and he was just sitting yeah. there just straining what he was going to say and do. She was like, just do what's in front of you. Yeah. And that's what you're doing. And that's, I think, a, a part of this process is you're so close to living in right now. You're yeah. not going to seal it just like we said about COVID until we take that boom mic and camera and start just coming all the way back until Earth is just this little orb. You yeah. Know? So Th that's exactly right. I mean, all you can really do is what's in front of you. And I think. um, I think it is hard to be responsible for. I mean, we're, we are all responsible for our work, but it's hard to know what it's going to mean to people. As a matter of fact, you know, I did an episode of my own podcast where I talked about the motivation behind some of the songs and I, and I talked about it a little bit and then, and I'm happy to, to do it if, if it goes there. But I also realized that regardless of what I meant to say or didn't mean to say, if people hear it in a different way, I feel this is true of most writers, you want people to experience the music however they experience it. And in exactly. a way you don't want to put too much in front of them. That's going to, I don't know, color their own, you know, experience of hearing the music. You, you want people to be able to hear it, how it reaches them. Absolutely. So speaking of what are you hoping the listener gets from this project? That's a good question. I don't have an answer for it. I mean, uh, it's, it's interesting that it took me a very long time. I, I hesitate even to admit this, to take my listener into consideration when I was making making music, I mean, I think I started making music because I was just so into it and wanted to know if I could do it. And if I could, I had something I wanted to say, could I figure out how to say it? I had a, I wanted to learn how to record and produce. And, you know, that's been such a big part of my process is the sound of the records that I make. And yeah. um, so it took me a long time before I realized, oh, somebody's going to experience this and they're going to have a, an experience with it. Um, I'm not really focused on what people's experiences are. I'm more focused on whether or not I got it out the way I wanted to get it out. 
Yeah. So the other part of this is the live performance. And we've touched on that a little bit. How does the crowd feel? How does the proverbial human touch feel now? Yeah, very different uh, to me anyway. Maybe it always was this way and I'm just feeling it differently because it's such a gift after not getting to do it for a while. I mean, I remember the first shows that that I did after having not been able to perform for a while and, and how euphoric that was, not just from me, but from the audience. And, and I will say as much as I, you know, I'm willing to admit that I didn't take my audience into consideration for a long time. When I came back to it, I realized how much we as performers thrive on the energy from an audience. And when an audience is like ready to receive it and give it back to you, 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 you all go into a space of kind of communal uh, euphoria or whatever. And so I have found an enormous generosity from audiences in the last couple of years, year and a half. And I hope that they also are feeling that return from me. Um, and also, I think I, I'm fortunate when it comes to making music in isolation that I play a lot of instruments and that it's kind of part of my workflow to do a lot of the work alone. Yeah. But um, I have really enjoyed getting together with other players and getting on stage on a level that, you know, I don't know that I had before the, the break came. And I think I'm much more excited about seeing where it goes and, you know, letting the music change and kind of being in the moment in a way that I, I think I was a little more uptight about it before, before yeah. all this happened. So what about the artistic pace and podcasting pace of what you're doing with your podcast and with your creativity? Is it amped and, and gone up to a new level or where are you at with that now? Yeah, I think it's all pretty much amped. Um, it's hard to, as you know, to keep a, a regular cadence going. I mean, um, I think, I think the podcast for me, the podcast and my creative work is all kind of part of the same thing. I don't see them as very separate. I see the podcast as a creative project. I see, um, I see it as professional, but I also see it as just part of the wor work that I'm doing. You know, as we know that it, it's hard to make a lot of money in podcasting, but it's, you know, we, we do it for other reasons also. Um, there are times when I'm so tied up on a project or on my own work or some other gig that the podcast kind of has to take a backseat for a couple of weeks. And I've just kind of come to accept that that's, that's part of it. That's okay. Um, but I am very committed to it. I mean, every year or two, I think, uh, okay, are we good? Is this still, you know, something that's valuable to me? And, and the podcast is still very, very much uh, part of that. So, and as you know, Joe, like, this episode that's happening right now, this happened because you made this happen. And every episode is a result of your effort, or at least in my case, it's a result of my effort of putting sure. something forward and saying, I want to make this, I want to continue to do this. So um, it's both exhausting and also, you know, if it's such a great feeling to know that you yeah. put something in motion and it happened because you made it happen. Yeah, it's celebrating the art form. And I think now more than ever, it feels really, really good because there were so many years that no one was doing anything. So everybody's like, yeah, I got music and I got this and I'm doing this. It's like, hallelujah, man, because yeah. that's the way it should be. That's the native tongue. So you've been picked up by WBGO, new album out, live shows. It has to just feel good to be alive right now. Feels good to be alive. It feels good. It feels good to have everything or for the most part, everything that I'm working on be the kind of thing that I care about and that I want to be working on, you know, and, you know, you asked before, how's the balance between podcast and creative work and musical work, whatever. And I, and I do think that 
on the one hand, as a self-employed person, I mean, like a hundred percent self-employed person, the the pandemic was extremely scary. Like there was just nothing to fall back on. And my wife is a yoga teacher. I mean, between the two of us, it's like, we are just out here, like really on the wing. And on the other hand, it kind of clarified for me, okay, there's a, I don't want to do stuff that I don't care about. I want to do things that are important to me and meaningful to me. And, and, uh, and so I'm, I feel really fortunate that even the work that I do that pays the bills is still, I'm still writing music. I'm still doing production work. I'm still doing music in the studio that, uh, that is fulfilling to me. So in a way I feel extremely, extremely fortunate. So let's get to the good business here. What's okay. trending? The brand yeah. new album. Yeah. Where is the best place for folks to pick this up and to listen to your wonderful interview series? Where can people go? Oh, thank you so much, Joe. Uh, well, all of the streaming, it's all of that stuff is on all your favorite streaming services. You, if you want to pay for it, you can go to either my website, leosidrin.com or to Bandcamp, where you can download and buy it. And if you buy a CD or a vinyl album, I will personally send it to you and sign it and do all that stuff. Um, and the podcast is, you know, in all your favorite podcast places, it's on YouTube and it's in all the apps and, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, hopefully it's everywhere you would want to find it. Absolutely. Leo, it's always so great to be around a master of conversation and art. I really appreciate your time. It's so good to catch up with you, man. Joe, I'm taking notes on you too. And I, you know, I think I said it to you last time too, but when, whenever I talk to you, I feel such a kinship with you because I, yeah. I, I know a little bit about what you know what you go through and uh, and i admire you so much for doing it well thank you yeah we're just in a boat rowing man we're just we're just getting yep. down the river that's right that's <laughs> cool right. hey leo thank you man have a great day and best of luck with everything thanks joe you too Be thank well. you thanks for listening and tuning into another neon chess interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds and podcasters in new york kansas city and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz and thanks to leo for always being the coolest cat in the room for all the music and those wonderful interviews if you want to hear more neon jazz interviews you can find us at spotify or apple podcasts subscribe to us at youtube and for everything neon jazz go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com until next time enjoy the jazz my friends Neon Jazz.